0: You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T REMNANT to get 10% off your semester. So, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. We are talking about Melchizedek. (laughs) Melchizedek. Who is he? Why does it matter? Why don't we mute our computers when we go live? Because we're professionals. All these things and more will be answered on this episode of Remnant Radio. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Hey guys, Uh, exciting episode today as we are talking about Melchizedek. We are going to be discussing Melchizedek and and why that matters to us. What's the big deal and why do we need to talk about it? Why do we need to think about it? Well, the author of Hebrews uses uh, Melchizedek as a way to point us to Jesus. So what we know about Melchizedek will be informative on how we have a discussion about Jesus. Uh, Before we dive too far into our discussion today, uh, Michael, you want to talk about some of the stuff we got coming down?
1: yeah so next week we or tomorrow we have our second episode in back to the fathers so we're starting a tuesday church history episode we have uh uh, three individuals who have been repeat uh interviewees on our show and uh anyway so they're gonna be on father ron uh drummond matthew uh uh, esquivel and help me ron ron drummond josh hufford Josh Hoffert. There it is. I should know that better. Uh, Anyway, but uh, they've they've been on the show a lot talking about church history. And the episode tomorrow is about evaluating prophecy. How did the church throughout history evaluate prophecy? Tomorrow, Tuesday, 4 p.m. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Of course,
0: we have our Wednesday show to be continued more episodes coming down the pike that's right and we're entirely crowdfunded so if you guys have been blessed by this episode or other episodes that we have produced feel free to give in the description of this video you can give on paypal or on patreon Uh, paypal you can give a one-time gift or patreon you can give monthly as low as five bucks a month It gives you access to all the extra content uh, but if you're out there and you're like, I can't afford five bucks a month, and there's something out there that you've made that I want to watch, uh, you just shoot me an email, media at therumnitradio.com, and I will try and send you that video in a timely fashion, but we will get it to you. So uh, we've got an exciting episode today, something that's hotly contested on who is Melchizedek what's the big debate why do we even have a debate on this subject uh, but it's interesting between higher textual critics uh jewish uh, mysticism second temple judaism all kinds of different things play into this conversation uh and today I'm, i think i'm gonna kind of drive the discussion and michael's gonna kind of pull questions do. out of me today um yeah so we had ai uh, am doing this on the front end i don't
1: care so we had a <laughs> cancellation Josh got to prepare this episode, and I showed up. So, uh, anyway, you're going to learn a lot from Josh, <laughs> and I'll
0: I'll play dumb this, here. This is one of the things my, I think it's interesting. By not playing. At I think all. Melchizedek is an interesting subject matter. I think we should probably start by going through Genesis 14, uh, talking about the the talking about Melchizedek, just the verses specifically that address him, uh, and then uh, we'll maybe read Psalm 10. But let's let's start off in Genesis 14 uh, and start the discussion on Melchizedek. As he is laid out in Genesis 14, and then we'll go from there. Okay, so uh,
1: Genesis uh, Genesis 14. It's a chapter uh, about kings. Uh, I can't remember the number of times, but it's something like 20, twenty, thirty, something times, maybe thirty-seven times that the word "king" is used in Genesis chapter 14. And it's the the scene where uh, Lot has been kidnapped. Abraham's going to bring Abram at the time is going to bring his three hundred and eighteen person army of trained ninjas who live in his household. That's right, and he's going to go capture. Uh, lot back. And so there's a battle between five kings over here and four kings over over there. And Abraham and his ninjas go and they capture uh and they or they defeat the other kings and rescue Lot and, and Chadel so right? But the, the theme of Genesis chapter 14 really is I could talk to the Bible a lot better than I can about people's theories. <laughs> I hear you. Um uh, Genesis fourteen is a passage that's it's really asking the question who is the king? Who is the real King of all, and then you have this scene where just after Abram's victory, you have uh, Melchizedek, king of Salem, this mysterious figure who comes out of the blue that we're going to talk a lot about today. And then you have the king of Sodom. So, king of Salem, king of Sodom. Salem, short for Jerusalem. Most people believe. So, uh, anyway, and these two kings stand in contrast with one another, where uh, where Sodom, representative of Sodom and Gomorrah, this wicked city that's soon to be destroyed, a few chapters later. And king of Salem, this uh, king of righteousness, king of peace that we learn about further in Hebrews chapter 7. And so it's, it's sort of like the contest between these two kings. And then above them all is the Lord Most High, Possessor of heaven and earth. He's the king over all of whom and for whom Melchizedek is the priest king representative upon the earth. So there's my Genesis 14 summary. Battle between bunch of kings. But behind it all is the king of kings, the possessor of heaven and earth. Dope. Love it. You want to read Genesis 14 for us? Sure. Okay. So here is the scene that I just described. Uh, After his return from the defeat of Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the Valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything, and the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything else that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich." I will take nothing but that uh, but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who are with me. Let Aner, Eschol, and Mamre take their share. Oh. So you have, you have the king of Sodom, who's basically prisoner of war, getting rescued, and he's acting like he's this great benefactor to Abram. And, uh, and it's sort of like the allure of this world kind of deal. And Abram's not having any of it because he knows who the true possessor of heaven and earth is.
0: Okay, so um, that, that's what you say. The, the king of Salem is is flexing that he uh, king of Sodom was flexing. Got it. Okay, king making of Sodom. Sure I was he's the bad right. guy. Yeah, so yeah. King yeah. of
1: Salem, who is Melchizedek, uh, wasn't really flexing. He's just the priest king who comes out of the blue, which is really the topic. So, so, out of the blue, who
0: is this guy really? And that's really the question because any Jewish reader who is picking up on this passage goes, "That's weird. There's a priesthood." Um, Where did this priesthood come from? It's not the priesthood of Levi. How are they worshiping unto God? And and we understand of the Jewish audience is that they have believed that there have been these priest kings that have lived consecutively throughout the Old Testament. We have someone such as uh, Adam. Adam is in the garden. He's told to tend and to keep the Garden of Eden. Uh, the tendon and Keep is the same language that is used for the Levitical priests in the temple, the tendon to Keep, uh, and, and and the kind of language that we see in the, I want to say, um, in the prophets in particular, which speaks of Eden as kind of this temple and this high place up on the mountains. Yeah, Ezekiel talks about
1: that. Yeah, so, uh, go ahead. Yeah, Ezekiel talks about that and, and describes Eden as being on the mountain of God. And so where people met with the gods was on mountains. And uh, and so Eden was placed, Dr. Heiser, Michael Heiser, talks about this a lot, um, uh, was, was that uh, whether it be a garden or a mountain in the ancient Near East, this was where the gods met and they held their councils. And so Dr. Heiser's point is, uh, is Eden is portrayed this way as sort of like the temple throne room of God with Adam and Eve uh, with Adam and Eve tending it and uh, and it uses the same verbs to describe the way Adam and Eve uh, are to, to something like tend and care for the garden in the same way that the Levites were to tend and care for the the temple, um, the temple. Right. and so uh it, and then in the temple you would have all this sort of creation type imagery so there's just a huge connection between temple Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve as as priests over it as as well as kings king queen whatever you want yeah. to call it because they are to subdue the earth That's right and uh, and as well as the temple
0: yeah so so the kind of king language of Adam being the the federal head of all humanity is that he is the father of the family that gives birth to all peoples uh, and in the subsequent character that we have to this is Noah. Who would be the head, the federal head of his household, um, and thus all peoples, if the entire world had been eradicated with a flood? Uh, but but then you have to ask the question: Was Noah a kind of priest as well? Uh, and then, in many respects, we believe that he was, in that he offered up sacrifices to the Lord after he gets off of the ark. Yep. So, in, in both accounts, we have a person who is a federal head, kind of king and priest. Um, here in this passage, it has to be someone with within that kind of layout that kind of lineage for it to make sense for a jewish audience and we'll see that that's actually a very common jewish interpretation uh as we get going uh through this passage but but there's there's a big mystery there's still this big question mark on who is melchizedek in the jewish mind uh because we don't really know where he came from in in this priesthood where did this priesthood come from and how do we know that he's actually worshiping God Most High. And, and that, that's where things get difficult because there are people who are higher textual critics who come up on this name, Melchizedek, and they say, man, this name is built. The, the way that it's built is a, it's like a theophoric name. It seems like there are names. This guy lives in the kind of Canaanite region of a Canaanite God. Um, uh, um, Zedek, right? Melchizedek. And this idea that this name, this half of this name, seems to be a, a false god, a false deity of the Canaanite people. And again, we'll bust into that here in a second. So you have a Jewish audience who would understand it a certain way. You have higher textual critics that will understand it a, a, a certain way. And then we have Christians who've got the book of Hebrews that tells us that it's king of righteousness, which Again, adds another layer of complexity onto the conversation. Uh, But before we dive into Hebrews and some of those other passages, would you maybe read for us the other Old Testament passage that's frequently used when talking about uh, Melchizedek? This is in Psalm 110.
1: Sure, Psalm 110, which obviously came well after Genesis. But uh, Psalm 110, uh, King David, the most oft-quoted psalm in the New Testament. Uh, Here's what it says. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments, from the womb of the morning to the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter the kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment upon are among the nations filling them with corpses and he will shatter chiefs over the wide earth he will drink from the brook by the way therefore he lift up his head okay so uh, Melchizedek is mentioned in verse 4 and uh, and what is fascinating is we we know from the story of it that he's a king but we also know from this that he's a priest That's and right. he's a priest forever so unlike priests that have a, a due date, a, aka death, like they uh, after death they obviously can't serve as priests anymore. But somehow Melchizedek will be a priest forever. Uh, but but in addition, this comes in the context of a psalm that begins with the Lord said to my Lord, and um, and so Jesus will quote this, and I think it's Matthew twenty two, uh, and, and he'll you know he's he'll he'll say to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he'll say to them you know, is, is David, um, like, how can David call the Lord? uh, How can he say that? How can he say the Lord says to my Lord is David, uh, is the Messiah, the son of David, or is he his Lord essentially? Yeah. So it kind of brings a trick question. So all that to say, this is
0: speaking of Jesus. So absolutely. And we, there are tons of resources. I want to hook you guys up with uh if you're not familiar with this conversation you can check out tons of information by dr michael heiser uh r hood mentioned heiser i'm actually pulling a lot from his stuff in particular when it comes to language as just a layman i don't have a firm grasp of uh, either the hebrew or the greek languages in which the bible was written uh so i'm pulling on other scholars who have a better knowledge of that which brings us to this next point when we talk about Theophoric names. This is this is. I'm going to pull up Heiser's higher textual criticism here, talking about the theophoric name. Uh, these are one of the things that complicates this. The other thing uh, that's going to complicate this is what we call an uh, epith- epithet name, which is going to be like a name that represents something uh, that speaks to something. Um, so a theophoric name. We'll start with that. Um, that is like my name is Joshua, right? And uh, Joshua means the Lord is salvation. Uh, Daniel. Dan right L El, El Shaddai Elohim right the the L it's theophoric uh, Belshazzar uh, the god of Baal these these names were theophoric when they were in Israel and they were brought into Babylon and they were given theophoric names of the Babylonian gods. So these names were pulled uh, as the children of Israel come out into Babylonian captivity. They're renamed with other gods because they don't want them to have that kind of connection with those names. So the higher textual critics have been noticing as they read the name uh, Melchizedek that it's possible King of Righteousness is a possible translation but almost all of them would say it's a pretty... Le- least likely of the natural readings of that name, um, whereas the author right. of Hebrews is going to say this is the way that I'm reading it. He's not; they're not. None of the higher textual critics are saying the author of Hebrews is in fact wrong. They're saying that's one of the ways this name could be read. And though he is actually the king in Canaan, it's more likely that this is speaking of a Canaanite god, some kind of uh, theophoric name for one of these Canaanite beings. So. So this is the theory. This is the theory, right, Uh, from the higher textual critics. Are you saying yet whether you agree with this theory? I am not. So here are the names on your screen that you can look at, Um, the the way that the names can be broken down. You see there on the white, uh, the the Adonai language of my lord, and then you see the Zadok part of the name. So Melchizedek, my lord is Zadok. Now, Zadok is a known Canaanite deity. Uh, The next option we have there is Melchizedek. MLK being a representative of a deity of Melech or Zadok. So it's two different false gods uh, of the Canaanite deities that have been merged together to make the name uh, Melchizedek. Or our third option, which is uh, M- Melchi El Zedek, which is He's my king, milky. He's my, just a milky my, my guy. king L is Zadok. Uh, all three of those are possible interpretations with the name. Of course, with the one we've already discussed that the author of Hebrews speaks of, king of righteousness. Mm. Um, So these are the difficulties that we have coming up to this name. So the the question would be, is this some kind of Canaanite priest, some kind of uh, guy who worships a false god coming before Abraham and blessing him with some kind of blessing of a false god? That's such a hard stretch for me. I don't think that that is inherently consistent with the text of Genesis uh, 14 myself. I have a hard time thinking this is some Worshipper of a false god in that he is using the descriptors that the scriptures use of the god most high Sure, there are other elohim But i'm speaking of the one who sits enthroned above them all who's the creator of heaven and earth sure So, uh as I have a plain reading of genesis chapter 14 And uh, as a plain reading, uh, uh of psalm 110 I think that the names of like hey, but of course i'm not a higher textual critic I don't really have a huge dog in this fight, but that seems to be a stretch for me
1: yeah. Now it's interesting that in Genesis fourteen, in verse twenty-two, when he says, "I've lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High as Lord," in all caps in my English Bible, so it's yep. Yahweh. And and interesting, interestingly, Yahweh's name uh, is is really revealed in Exodus chapter three in the burning bush, and I am, uh, I am who I am in that context. And uh, and and I do know just from past reading of of commentaries and scholarship on this is. Um, is they tend to think like even like the conservative commentators like hey um, the Genesis was written by Moses that's the traditional belief of the church but there might have been an editor that came through and put Yahweh's name sure. because it's technically it was revealed you know that they, they, they say things like that and it, anyway there's lots of theories on it but but at the end of the day that, that my real point is it, it was Yahweh's name
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: that's put there and I, I think that's highly relevant for our yeah, conversation
0: I agree uh, and in in, in regards to that, this name might not be two compounds of two words now when you're looking at the word and it's a compound of two words it it looks like okay uh that's what this word means that's what that word means you know we have the the king of adonai uh and then you have you know zedek right these are two compound words that are put together what if the word just means king of righteousness and it's not a compound word it's just a it's just a word that that means when this word is used yeah like caesar right? Mm-hmm. Your name's not Caesar, but you hold the title and office of Caesar, and we know what that means. You're king of Rome, for all intents and purposes, or mm-hmm. pharaoh, right? That means that you're king of Egypt, right? So these these names are actually just a title that is being used. It's not a word-for-word, word, like, let's break down what these characters mean and how they're a compound word of some kind. Uh, this is a, a kind of uh, quote here from our scholar S.J. Anders. Uh, this is from the IVP Dictionary of the Old Testament uh, in the Pentateuch. And again, I'm pulling some of this information from Dr. Michael Heiser. He sourced this on his resource guide, uh, which I pulled. So here's the quote. Would you like to read it for us? Yes, I'm, I'm the reader today.
1: Yeah, that's so, helpful. Uh, all three paragraphs? Are... Sure. Okay. Uh, Melchizedek and Adonai Zedek may have been Canaanite royal epithets. E.A. Spicer has argued that Melchizedek is the Canaanite equivalent of the Mesopotamian title Sar Mesarim. Aka the Just King. Um, this would suggest that Melchizedek is a royal title, title rather than a personal name. Uh, the use of MLK SDQ as a descriptive title is attested a few times in the Northwest Semitic world. A 14th century BC letter addressed the king of Egypt, uh, discovered at Ras iba Hani, contains several royal epithets applied to the pharaoh. Included in this salutary list are such titles as uh, MLK RB, which is the Great King. MLK, MS uh, MSRM, the king of Egypt, as well as the phrase MLK, S-D-Q, just king. The 10th century B.C. inscription of Yehimilk, king, uh, king of Biblos, claims that he is MLK, S-D-Q, more letters, a just and upright king. <laughs> Later in the 5th century B.C., the inscription, uh, the inscription meant also king of, of Biblos contains the phrase, more letters, for he is a just king. And uh, in, in other words, what it's what it's trying to say is we found these other inscriptions that sound Melchizedeki yep, deki That was terrible. Okay, that sound real a lot like that name, but they uh,
0: so they're trying to make a connection and say maybe this is that. Right. So they're saying that the whole word Melchizedek, not a compound word. It just as a whole word. That's what this word means. It means king of righteousness right right so we have this king of salem this righteous king um who comes in and now we have to figure out who this guy is and where he comes from now one of the uh the other things that we have to tackle is the kind of jewish mysticism uh that we have in uh the qumran text uh in they called it 11 Q Melchizedek is a specific text that was found in the 11th tomb of the Qumran text that, that speaks specifically um, to a kind of identity of who this Melchizedek is. And in addition to that, we have second Enoch that also speaks to this. Now what you have here in this paragraph is not a, Uh, An exact uh, uh, quotation of what was written in those things as much as it is a summation of those things. We'll see that Melchizedek appears from heaven. This is in uh, one of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, the the Dead Sea Scrolls here uh, in the Qumran text says, Melchizedek appears from heaven as uh, as a general of the heavenly armies. He's a visible representative of God and the redeemer of the people of the Lord. Uh, He makes his appearance on Yom Kippur, which indicates his priestly role uh, in the text. uh, uh, He also is called Elohim. So that is in the Qumran text. But then in 2 Enoch, there's this really crazy story where um, uh, Noah has a brother named Nir, and Nir has a wife who can't get pregnant but eventually she gets pregnant but apart from intercourse with her husband so she has this child who is immaculately conceived in second enoch well this child is born and uh, and, and and as they come to get the child they find that the wife has died in childbirth but the child has appeared fully formed uh, has emerged from his mother completely developed as a as a like not an adult but like i think it was like a toddler-esque
1: Wait. With a badge of priesthood on his chest. With
0: a badge of priesthood on his chest. (laughs) And then the archangel Gabriel later on in the story comes and takes the boy into heaven. So here we have Second Temple Jewish sources that speak of this Melchizedek as this heavenly being, as this divine being. Well, Melchizedek was carried into heaven by Gabriel and then was brought back down to bless Abraham. Okay, again... So basically, these guys are probably
1: in second Enoch doing the same kind of thing that we're sort of doing asking who is this Melchizedek guy except probably
0: they're just making stuff up but here's the interesting thing those stories both have a smell of Christology yeah a child was immaculately conceived a child was assumed into heaven this child comes back down there there is this kind of like Okay, they are beginning to pick up on that this yeah. is maybe a spiritual being. Well, yeah, I, th- as well. I think
1: that's where where this is important is that uh, the author of Hebrews isn't just like pulling stuff out of thin air. Mm-hmm. There, there was a sense, it, even if it's a little outlandish, that Melchizedek was grown as a or was born as a full grown man from the womb. I mean, <laughs> even if it's outlandish such as that, the point is there are theories about this guy Melchizedek because. He comes out of nowhere, never to appear again, except for David prophesying in a messianic psalm, Psalm 110, saying he'll be a priest forever, which in Israel, where the temple is the center of religious life, to say that someone's going to be a priest forever, and you don't even know who this guy really is, he just appears out of the blue, there are going to be some theories. That's
0: right. And if it's the 21st century gonna be some podcasts (laughs) no doubt so in this in this uh idea in this ideology that we have in the second temple period we have a guy uh modern guy named chad bird He's a graduate of Concordia Theological Seminary, but he hangs with some of like the evangelicals, like the Gospel Coalition and Christianity Today. He writes for them all the time. Anyway, when when at Concordia, he wrote a dissertation, master's, maybe dissertation, master's thesis, on this idea that the book of Hebrews, when it speaks of Melchizedek, is actually writing a response to, to disprove the kind of mythology that emerged about Melchizedek in Second Temple Judaism. So some of the phrases that it used Uses, you know of uh, priests forever under the order of Melchizedek, and when it speaks of him being like Christ, it's specifically writing it to say, he's not Christ. Uh, very compelling article, you guys should go check it out. Uh, again, Chad Bird uh, in his dissertation at Concordia, really interesting, we can probably put it in the show notes of the description. But we have gotten to the point where we probably need to read the kind of texts on, in Hebrews about Melchizedek, um, in Hebrews five, nine through 10, Hebrews six, 19 through 20, And then hebrews 7 1 through 24 and then we'll kind of get some thoughts in commentary on that and then we'll kind of go through the three major views of who is melchizedek uh, that's been held throughout history is melchizedek shem the son of noah is melchizedek a christophany jesus in the old testament uh that kind of manifested in the old testament or is this a third option that, that he's just some random dude who happened to live in canaan who looked in some ways to foreshadow the coming of Jesus. He was born a full-grown man. Born a full-grown man (laughs) with a medallion that said, I'm the priest. (laughs) Okay.
1: So uh, Hebrews 5, 9 to 10, let's look at these Hebrews passages. Uh, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That would be a good soteriological discussion, but we can't get sidetracked. Being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus becomes a source of eternal salvation, and he's a priest, high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews six nineteen to 20, we'll talk about Melchizedek again. We have this as a sure, a steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters in, uh, into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Next, Hebrews 7, 1 to 24. For this Melchizedek king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned the 10th part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, which you just were talking about. There are people who are arguing that's a very minority view in ancient times yes. that, it, that it meant that, Yes. yet it could have meant that. That's Since right. We believe the scriptures are inerrant. We, may, we believe it didn't mean that. we hold this, yeah. Yeah. So um, he is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem. That is king of peace. Most commentators believe that's Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever, which we wouldn't understand as saying that, like, he literally had no
0: father or mother. I mean, some people do. Again, okay. this is this is a very popular Christian position. If you're if you're holding the Christophany position, the Christian that is then, what then you'll that believe. is what you'll you'll you're going to that, hold. That. You'll take that
1: very literally, very literally, or someone more like me who doesn't take the christophany position i see it as typological right um but uh i would see that as a as sort of a, a symbol and a foreshadowing just in the sense that his father and mother aren't reported not to in genesis chapter 14 not that he literally didn't have them
0: <laughs> or did he ah no, okay, okay.
1: I should probably stop explaining and finish the text. (laughs) Um, But resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of his spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people that is from their brothers, though these are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So uh, so the superior being Melchizedek, inferior being Abram there. In one, of, in one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in other case, by one whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins Weird. of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him.
0: Is that the way it works
1: biologically? <laughs> i don't think so uh I, i've heard people make analogies to uh to the way people are in adam sinning sure so, and that i like yeah okay but like <laughs> biologically now, it's kind of
0: weird <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh there, there you go being a literalist again there, that, okay I mean, so versus time 11 to. to 24 do you want me to read those two or should we make a few comments yeah let's make some comments go, you want to you start uh well, I think I just kind of made comments as I went. So what were you thinking as okay. I
0: went? Well, here, here's the idea of of Christology. Maybe we'll touch on this now. Um, is this a Christophany? Uh, my knee-jerk reaction is no. Thank you. It's not a Christophany. And this is why I don't think it's a Christophany. couple things. Exegetically, there's a really important interpretive verse, I think, for us in verse 3. Resembling the Son of God. Mm. Yeah, It kind of makes him not the son of God if he looks like him. <laughs> like I mean,
1: like Josh, I wouldn't say, you know what? You really resembled Josh Lewis today.
0: Yeah, that you would be an odd really thing to say. Him. Wow, do you know what? The, you look a lot like, like you. This guy who wrestled Jacob in the Old Testament really looks like Jesus, right? Like that'd be kind of a weird thing to say. If it's a Christophany, then it is Jesus. Right,
1: and in that text we have clear indicators where he's called both the Lord and the angel of the Lord. That's right. So he... He wrestled with God, but also in the same text, the angel of the Lord, which uh, almost all scholars I've ever read, maybe all, uh,
0: equate the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, with Jesus. So speak to that for us, because there are people who are watching this who are like, what is a Christophany? They have no Mm -hmm. clue what that is. Unpack what is a Christophany for the average viewer. Right. So a Christophany is an appearance
1: of the Christ in the Old Testament. and so. Uh, and so there are some of them, and uh, and and you see uh, uh, just a lot of times, whether it's a, a few chapters later in Genesis, you'll see um, you'll you'll see a human like figure uh, who appears to Abraham, uh, uh, but he's called the Lord, mm-hmm. and, and so it's the Lord who is a man form. Uh, and, uh, another one is the angel of the Lord and the Lord. That connection I already made. Uh, that's uh, an example of that is in Genesis 32, the one you quoted, the wrestling with the Lord one. Another one would be in Exodus chapter three. Another one would be in Zechariah chapter three. Um, uh, there's lots of them in mean, there everywhere in the Old Testament, but it's an appearance of the Lord. Now, we would, we would put this in contradistinction between that and say biblical typology. Sure. Okay, so uh, Peter will make a point about what, uh, what Noah and the ark and the flood and how that points to baptism and baptism now saves you. And he'll kind of make a, a connection or Jesus in Luke chapter 24. Uh, it, it says that from basically the beginning to the end of scripture, Jesus is preaching Jesus. What, what does that mean? Well, what it means is that that Jesus is finding the typological connections all the the foreshadowings of a coming Christ, right? So there's a uh, different the sacrifices, for instance, were, uh, were typological pointing toward the greater sacrifice. And the way you identify topology is you, when you're reading the Old Testament, you uh, you see, you, you ask, is this a, sh- a shadow that points to a greater fulfillment? And uh, New Moon, Sabbath, you know, the the author of Paul in Colossians will say these things are shadows of the things which are to come, but the substance is found in Christ. So typology always has a sort of maximized, glorious, much greater fulfillment than the original, which in this case, that's why I think this fits typology, not just the exegetical point that you made with the word Resembling, but but in addition, it is this greater fulfillment in sure. the person of Christ than a dude going out and and blessing somebody who happens to seem like a really great dude. No, this this is a, a foreshadowing to the greatest man of all. I won't call him a dude. Um, the greatest man of all, the man Christ Jesus. Right. So there's a greater
0: fulfillment. So so on the conversation of Christophany, there's a couple of areas that we can say. Okay, um, here, here. if I was going to make an argument for Christophany, I would say uh, he's the king of Salem, mm-hmm. right? King of peace That's what Salem, Salem means peace. He's the king of Salem. Jesus is the prince of peace. Look at mm-hmm. the similarities there. Uh, Melchizedek just has no father or mother is what Hebrews says. Uh, Melchizedek says he has no inter- genealogy, uh, no beginning of days. That sounds like an internal being. Uh, mm-hmm. Melchizedek offered bread and wine like Jesus offers us bread and wine of the the New Covenant. Uh, Hebrews, he says that uh, Jesus is better than the angels. He says that he's better than the priesthood, but when he compares him to Melchizedek, he never actually says Jesus is better than Melchizedek, which kind of breaks the logical flow. Now, if I'm going to read this, and I'm responding to the person who believes this is a Christophany, a physical embodiment of God in the Old Testament, I'm gonna say, well, here's, here's a couple things that I have in disagreement with you. One, Jesus is being compared to the priest uh, and the angels. He's not a priest or angel. He, he's like the Levitical priest, but he's better than them. He's like the angels, but he's better than them. To compare him to Melchizedek and then say, well, he is Melchizedek actually breaks the logical flow of the text because he's yeah. not an angel and he's not like the Levitical priests mm-hmm. because he isn't. Uh, Genesis 14 also speaks of Melchizedek appearing, well, Melchizedek being there, but Genesis 18, we see another Christophany of him eating with God, but it doesn't call him Melchizedek, which is very interesting in that he's meeting Melchizedek here, but he would have also called him Melchizedek in Genesis 18 but he mm-hmm. doesn't.
1: Yeah. And, and on a related note, it, it never refers to Melchizedek as Yahweh, right. or the angel of Yahweh. There's, there's no direct link. Whereas in every other scripture, uh, Exodus chapter 32, uh, or sorry, Genesis, uh, 30, uh, Genesis 32, Exodus chapter three, Zechariah, uh, chapter three, and it might be Zechariah four, but I think it's three anyway. But in all of these, as well as every other Christophany, I know there's, there's a close to obvious connection where this being this
0: man-like figure uh is called the lord well next they say well remember when they said that he has no genealogy mm -hmm. crazy thing is all the gospels for the most part with with the exception of one starts with jesus having a genealogy so it's not a direct (laughs) one-to-one correlation right so it's like uh, he has no father or mother well odd thing is jesus has a mother you know, so so it's saying, it's not a one-to-one correlation, it's saying that Jesus is eternally God, and look how this guy shows up on the scene without any record of his father or mother. In fact, when people are speaking of Hebrews, when it talks about genealogy and father and mother, it's talking about qualifications. If you have no mother, right, um, uh, it speaks to the fact that you're not Jewish. If you have no father, it speaks to the fact that you're an illegitimate child. If you have no genealogy, it disqualifies you for the qualifications of a Levitical priest. It's speaking of his office and his role, not speaking to some kind of inherent identity within him. Now, the most complicated, I think, that comes from this is when they say that he is the king of Salem. There's an actual place, Jerusalem. Salem is this physical place. So you're saying that Jesus Christ was manifest somehow in the flesh and ruled over a kingdom. He established (laughs) the kingdom of God in the earth and then left and that kingdom failed? Yeah. That's a claim that the kingdom of God has failed because Jesus that that kingdom Salem isn't there today. But there's but he brought bread and wine, Josh.
1: So doesn't that mean it was a Christophany?
0: No, I don't think bread and wine is exclusive to the identity of who <laughs> Jesus is. Bread uh, and I'm wine pretty shows sure up they shared it a lot. every Passover. That's right. And it right? shows up all but over I will the Old say. Testament.
1: It's also not an argument against typology because That's right. Uh, when I've preached on this passage before uh, I I point that out, and, and and I say this is a pointer toward Jesus, who gave us uh, the the bread and wine of the Eucharist of communion. So, its greater fulfillment is in Jesus. That's far greater than Abram getting a little refreshed after battle. That's right. That is Christ opening up the communion table uh, to the people of God for the sins of the
0: world, and so. Yeah, that's greater. Yeah, I think so. I think, it actually fits the typological argument well. It, it, that's exactly the point. Is that there are so many similarities, which is why I think again, verse is it verse four? That sorry, I'm, I've got two different masses: one on my computer and one here next to me for the show. Um, but here in yeah, in verse three, resembling the Son of God, the the author of Hebrews is saying, "Look at how many similarities there are. Look, there's bread and wine." Look at the, the fact that he has got no father or mother, and he's speaking of this kind of priesthood of both king and priest, where you'll rule perpetually. There, there's no there's no time in which God showed up like the Levitical priests and disrupted the family unit in such a way so that we wouldn't know like today, who are the Levites? Mm-hmm. Nobody knows after the destruction of the temple uh, in seventy A.D. the the, Le, the the Levitical line had been broken. We we don't know the family lines any longer. But Melchizedek, didn't happen. God didn't show up and disrupt that priesthood. We don't know when it was established and we don't know when it will cease to be. In fact, that's the point. He's using that as a typology. Yeah.
1: Um, and this then, is an argument that I'm just thinking of in the moment. It's ahead. not a perfect argument, but I'm going to put it out there. But uh, I, I do know that the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is a priest forever on account of his indestructible life, the that's fact right. that he never dies. So um, this is maybe related to what you've said, but we would have to believe not only that Jesus himself was king of a place called Salem inside the land of Canaan, hanging out with all these other random kings. We have to believe not just that, but that like from there he just never died and forever lived, but it still doesn't really quite make sense of it because by the power of his resurre- uh, or by the power of his indestructible life, uh, he's alluding to the resurrection. That that this is speaking, Amen. this is speaking of the resurrected Christ, because unlike the other priests who, who did die, Jesus is the priest who, by virtue of his resurrection, lives forever. And so it, it's pointing to something that happened uh, in
0: thirty-three AD, not something that happened in the time of Abram. Okay, and then final final point on is this a Christophany? My final point is Jesus is hanging out with Sodom and Gomorrah. He's about to destroy those jokers. Like he's just hanging out, like taking it, drinking some wine, eating some bread with the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, who he's about to destroy. It just seems unlikely to me. I, I get it. Jesus hangs out with sinners, but like these guys aren't repenting. They're living in sexual immorality rampantly. He's gonna smoke them. So that we, we have a little bit of biblical insight on what did Jesus feel about Sodom and Gomorrah during that time period. Yeah. A couple chapters later he destroys them. Now the the second question is. Is Jesus or is Jesus is Melchizedek Shem? Now this is I think this is more yeah. plausible, and we should explain who Shem is. Shem is the son of Noah. One no, of three. Noah had Shem. One of three main sons: Ham so. and Japheth. Yeah. Um. It's a it's a weird story. Shem was the good guy. Shem was the good guy. Ham was the bad guy. Yep. So. And Japheth was some kind of havesies.
1: He, he was a little hazy, but he didn't get cursed. That's right. Okay, and of course that you're right. It is a weird story because it seems like Ham should have been cursed, but Ham's son Canaan was cursed as a That's result right. of Ham's sin. But it's a weird story in that um, the the story just you know a little bit earlier in Genesis is Noah gets drunk, and uh, I know some commentators say that Noah was probably the inventor of wine. That's a whole other sidetrack. But Noah gets drunk on the wine that perhaps he invented. Um, and he's naked, okay? And the son, Ham, comes in and uncovers his father's nakedness. Now, according to some, this is sort of, uh, it, it's in the least voyeurism, but it could have actually been something kind of homosexual because there's sort of euphemisms. The kind of gay's language is yeah. not great. So uh, anyway, but basically, Ham, at least voyeurism of his naked, drunk father, and perhaps more. And he comes out and says to his brothers, hey guys, look at that, this is crazy. And his, uh, and his brothers, ha- uh, Shem and Japheth, bring a blanket and they won't look upon their father's nakedness, which that part might suggest it was mere voyeurism. Either way, it was yeah. bad. And um, anyway, Noah comes to eventually and uh, and Ham, his son, Canaan, is cursed. And that gives rise to the whole curse of Canaan. But the point with Shem Shem follows that blessed line, because after uh, Cain uh, murders Abel, Abel's replacement is Seth. And so it goes from Adam and Eve to Seth, and then you have the seventh from Adam, which is Enoch, and so you kind of have this holy line that passes down, and it ultimately gets to, I mean, gets to Noah, and then Noah's son, Shem, and then through Shem comes Abram. I'm going family tree all over this place. Come on, get him. through Shem comes Abram, through whom ultimately comes the Christ. Right. And so it's this blessed line. And, uh, and so the question is, is Shem
0: of this blessed line the same person as Melchizedek? Yeah, that's the question. And the, the form of the question kind of goes like this. Well, first of all, Shem is the third in line, according to Jewish scholars. Uh, Genesis chapter 10 actually says that Japheth is older than Shem. Uh, okay. So Shem should have been the youngest, but is always mentioned first in the list. Now the Jewish scholars of
1: Genesis, yes, the youngest guy. I mean Jacob Esau. That's right. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, the birthright isn't due to the youngest person; right. it's due to which, the oldest. But the oldest seems to disqualify themselves, and that story repeats itself. Over it's an and election over. thing, Josh. It's an election thing, exactly. That firstborns can't be elected. Uh, which which birth order? Are you? No, I'm sorry. Uh, no, so, uh, just kidding. Uh, so in in this text, uh, Shem is he receives the blessing, right? To your point, he, uh, the, uh, Cain was cursed and he said, uh, he he gives a special blessing on Shem. So Shem is always listed first. And, and a lot of Jewish scholars believe that it was Shem's garment that was placed over their father. And that's why he received the blessing. It's because when, when their father woke up, he saw that there was a garment on him and it was his son's garment, Shem, that had Protected anyway. There's nothing in the text itself that says that. Was in like
1: the the 13th uh cave of
0: No, it's it's just it's just some it's just some kind of Jewish teaching. Just like the idea that Shem is Melchizedek. That's just an assumed thing. Now, some of you might be thinking, how can Shem be Melchizedek? Because he was Abraham's great 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 grandpappy, like that kind of thing. it's like how is that a thing? Well, here's okay. So here's here's this nifty little graph that I pulled up. Wow. See that? Look at that graph. Check out that graph. Dude. What a graph. That is incredible. That's the life of Shem right there, that second bar. See that? See Abraham all the way down to the bottom? Shem actually outlived Abraham according to the biblical timeline. Oh, wow. Isn't that nuts? That is that is nuts. Shem for sure outlived Abraham. Died died well, before his great, 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 for sure. great, 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 great,
1: great, 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 like, could there be any spacing in between Yeah, those? so
0: there's the ages in red. You'll see when they were X amount of years old, they fathered so-and-so, and then they, at X amount of years old, fathered so-and-so. So this is the best mm-hmm. timeline I could pull up. And it doesn't seem to be like the only timeline out there. It seems to be a couple of them who would have to that same idea. So was he alive? Sure. But does that mean that he's Melchizedek? Well, if we follow that kind of biblical theme that we talked about at the beginning of the show, Abra- or uh, Adam was king-priest, noah was kind of a king priest as well because he was the federal head of the world and that he was the father of all of the people through whom all of the nation's descendants come from he's the federal head so in a sense he's king but also he offers sacrifices once he gets off of the ark so he's this king priest well then who is the the natural descendant who receives the blessing of the kingdom, just like the sons of Israel receive the blessings of their forefathers and they become the rightful king of their tribe, of their nation. Well, that would logically be Shem. Well, Shem has got a whole bunch of kids. Who is going to be the natural offspring? Who's gonna pass this on to Abraham? It's gotta be Shem, right? Shem is getting old. He's gotta pl- pa- pass off this kingdom of like this this natural federal head and the blessing of, of priesthood to someone and Abraham, later on in Genesis 18, begins to offer up sacrifices. So so who's this guy going to be? Um, Shem. They think it's Shem. Uh, here are some of the arguments for Shem. In addition to the timeline, this right here, let me see if I can pull it up. It's hard to see from here. That is a map. Okay, now here's a <laughs> secondary argument of why Shem is the dude. See that little box there that says Canaan? That little box there that says Canaan is the general area, the, the northern region there, is where... It is to believed that uh, uh, this event took place in Salem, pre- pretty north there, towards the inn, the last inn of Canaan, <laughs> if you will. Now there is a lot of hot debate on who actually possessed that land, because we know that the Canaanites don't come from Shem. The Canaanites actually hail from Ham. Ham gives birth to Egypt and Canaan mm-hmm. and all these guys. So there's all, a bit of a debate. All the enemies. All the bad guys. That's right. (laughs) Uh, So uh, there's a bit of a debate on who actually owned the geography because in the Genesis 10 account, post the blessing account, uh, Ham, it it describes all the nations that come from Ham. And we know that the Canaanites eventually take over the land of Canaan that we know today as Canaan. Um, But the, the debate really comes down to is at the time when Melchizedek was present, who owned that region again jewish tradition tells us that shem was the vice regent of that area so again this gives just another kind of piece in that pie of why they would assume this was shem so this is the argumentation he would have been alive he would have kind of been this priest king and he would have ruled this kind of geographical area now what's the problem with him being this priest king what's the problem with shem Um, the argument is basically built off of history and tradition and isn't a, a textual argument. It's built off of speculation and tradition ha- passed down from Jewish fathers. Um, we really can't, and I, as a Protestant, I would just say we really shouldn't build our entire theological underpinning off of what some Jewish scholar had written in some Targum once upon a time. Um, it's our job to just kind of use the text and speak the, where the text speaks and remain silent where the text is silent. Now, me looking at this, there's no biblical reason for me to believe it's not Shem. But there's also no reason for me to biblically believe it is Shem. So I kind of am in this neutral it's a space guess. where I could go, it might have been Shem, but I can't teach it authoritatively like it was Shem. It's and just if it was speculation. Shem,
1: it would have to be Shem by a different name. That's right, by Melchizedek. And if Shem has already been established as the blessed line, why not let him keep his name? Because he's the blessed Shem. So now you're going to change his name to Melchizedek and not even tell us why. I I really don't think that's the the purpose of that text.
0: That's right. And 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 that's where I would go is I just go, man, um this is some kind of king priest. I kind of go on that third category of just I don't know. Yeah. Some well, guy who lived in Canaan. Te- the
1: author of Hebrews didn't think it was Shim because uh because he says he's without father or mother genealogy. We have quite a clear genealogy for Shim. That's right. But we don't have a genealogy for Melchizedek. Agreed. So I think when I'm we I'm going to go with I agree with Hebrews. I'm going to go with Hebrews. Non- we don't conjecture. know which honestly and I and I should say this this is like this is fun to talk about and debate and all that kind of stuff but uh but really we need to when we're talking about the scripture we need to specialize and focus on what the clear passages of scripture say Agreed. right that is what we're going to land on and since the book of Hebrews interprets this for us that's where I go this is a typology OK, that's that's how I would understand it. And um, and, you know, same thing for all of the just debated stuff. Let's there's a, a enough clear scripture that I don't do a good enough job at obeying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put my focus there. On the other hand, I do think that as people who love the word of God, it is a worthwhile endeavor So let's dig as deep as we can into the scripture, into the cultural context so that we can better understand and get into the mind of the author. Let's go as far as we
0: can. My point is, let's
1: just not go farther.
0: Yeah, and that's when it comes to these kinds of theories, what we don't want to do is we don't want to get in our mind, well, the Jewish people thought this, and I just want to agree with them, and then kind of bend your interpretation to fit a camp, or to, to bend to fit a camp or a school of thought. But what's the point of studying something as in-depth as we just did, like saying, this is what higher textual critics say, and this is what Jewish philosophers think, but, but doesn't the New Testament kind of just give us the answer? Um, the reason we talk about those kinds of things is we're going through like the Kingdom of the Colts book is, man, you can relate and speak to people who have a different position than you in an intelligible way. We study to show ourselves approved because there are people out there who have all kinds of crazy ideas. Actually, this subject right now uh, of the order of Melchizedek is a deeply Mormon tradition. Like this idea that that whether it's Shem or, or whether it's a Christophany, like these kinds of teachings are deeply entrenched in the Mormon church. They believe that their priesthood is a priesthood of Melchizedek, right? So we need to know as Christians what have been the schools of thoughts so that we can apologetically reach those individuals. Absolutely. And then our Jewish friends as well. We would want to know what is their view of Melchizedek and how can we undermine that in such a way to point them to Christ? <laughs> yeah, you that's, know? A, that's a really
1: great point because whenever we were doing these, uh, you know, when the government had this release of a report on aliens at the end of June, right. was, we did a few alien episodes and I was kind of laughing with you and I was just like, why are, Aliens. I mean, who even cares? Whatever. I mean the Bible doesn't really doesn't talk about aliens, so who even cares? And you know, then you started telling me about Stephen Bankar's friend of Remnant Radio and, and and then Stephen and I And you, God. Yeah. And, and we all started talking about it. And Stephen's like, Man, as a former New Ager, this was huge. Like this was actually the central thing. I it blew my mind that aliens would be central for somebody when they were thinking about spiritual things. That's but right. as somebody from the New Age it was very central to him in thinking about and coming uh, back to Jesus. And so, uh, and so for him, it was important that he could at least look at certain biblical texts and say, maybe aliens fit in here. It opened his mind enough. Same thing with the Jewish people and the Mormons and the different theories on Melchizedek. From your vantage point, it might not seem that important, but when you consider where other people are at... This is why we're talking about these things.
0: Okay, so there's a a question from Pam. Let me find it in here. I'm gonna cut over here again. Operating two computers at the same time. Pam asked a question about uh, man. I don't I don't know because I just made it visible. Uh, YouTube was like uh, this question looks uh, not good. Uh, Pam asked a question about uh, what about uh, this man's uh, nakedness? Like viewing his father's nakedness is having some kind of homosexual relationship with him. Neither of us are saying that. Neither of us are saying that by looking at his father, that he had some kind of sexual intercourse. What we're saying is that he lusted at him as he gazed upon him. Yeah, That's the kind of popular inference. Well,
1: yeah, I'm saying that it was probably just voyeurism is my guess. Voyeurism? Uh, So uh, looking at somebody, right? So uh, in a lustful manner. There you go. So, um, okay, but uh, it could have been more than that because... For a Hebrew person to uncover one's nakedness was a euphemism for um, sexual relations. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, if it says in Leviticus that you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife or whatever, it's ba- it's saying don't have sex with her. So, um, so it could mean that. But I, I'm just saying, and, and we kind of went there before why I thought it was probably voyeurism, but I, I'm not like... That debate over which it is, is not something I, I've cared enough to like deeply deep. What it study.
0: was, was immoral enough for him to get cursed. It was
1: immoral enough for him to get cursed. I think that's really all we need to know.
0: Yeah, so, uh and, that, and that's all that we're speaking to, Pam. I hope that answers your question. Again, YouTube seemed to make that question invisible, because it talked about having sex with someone's father, and they just assumed uh, that's probably they not took, something they you were right. They took your question away, Pam. Yeah, so I apologize, Pam. That, that wasn't on me, but YouTube, we... Thank you for censoring questions that look that precarious (laughs) in our comment section. (laughs) So uh, also not uh, booing on YouTube because that feature is quite helpful when you have trolls in the comment section. Okay, we are coming up on 4.58, so we've only got two more minutes left in the broadcast. Did you see any questions in here that would be um, really great to grab? Uh, I'm, again, operating two computers, guys. Please uh, forgive me as I'm trying to... Screen both at the same time.
1: Um, y'all need to tackle the seven thousand year timeline and historical view of Revelation. Maybe hit, but uh, yeah, I don't think Is we have coming? time for that. So um, maybe maybe another. What's that? Uh, my book's taking a while. I mean, I would love to finish it by like December end of the year. I don't know that that's going to happen. Yeah, bro. So, anyway, writing a book slowly on Revelation. We're a fun time. Yeah, you don't want Michael to write a book fast on Revelation.
0: It <laughs> wouldn't be any good. Um, this is really great content. I really enjoy you coming on, asking hey, me some questions. Thanks for doing all the study and hey, letting me show up. It's one so. of those things that happens when we do live shows and people have to reschedule. Yeah. it's pretty there, normal. There you go. But hey, we can we
1: can still talk through it and have Made a great conversation and just encourage you guys. Keep digging in uh, to the scripture. I think of Proverbs chapter two. If you if you search for wisdom as gold and as silver and dig for it that's where I found all my treasure in the word of God has come from is really digging into it. and it, yeah. It's almost like the, just the study of it is really like almost, it, it's it's a meditation upon the word of God and it goes with you all day. So uh, anyway, just encourage you guys, keep digging into the scripture. And I want to thank you guys uh, for, for joining us. I want to encourage you to subscribe to our channel. Uh, hit that like, all those comment, things. share, uh, all those things, and uh, consider being a donor. Uh, this is all crowdfunded. We just spent a, a large amount of money to go interview Dr. Craig Keener uh, over the entire book of Mark. It's just, uh, it's just a gift to the body of Christ because we believe in what we're doing, and uh, it's going to be great for uh, pastors who are preaching through Mark. It's going to be great for... Uh, small groups, we made them in 30-minute segments, so small groups who want to use this material. Uh, and it's also just going to be great for lay people who want to study more in the Word of God. Fantastic interviews coming out on the Book oh, of Mark. Man. So, so uh, please consider a donation. All the links are in uh, in the description.
0: And I just added, someone was saying, hey, please put the uh, dissertation by Chad in the comment section, or in the in the video description, so it is in there. Chad L. Bird is the kind of heading there, and the link for his Google Drive that has his dissertation in there that I think is super fruitful in how uh, the author of Hebrews is not just writing arbitrarily about Melchizedek, but very intentionally to both point us to the Psalm 110 fulfillment, uh, and in addition to that, Undermine the kind of mysticism that we see in Second Temple Judaism surrounding the Melchizedekian priesthood. So uh, both of those, or th- that's in the. You like that? It's good. Yeah. Well, thank you. And that that's there in the YouTube description. I'd also advise you guys check out the Bible Project's small video on Melchizedek, super fruitful. Uh, Heiser did a three-part series, maybe a four-part series on Melchizedek on the Naked Bible podcast. Very helpful and insightful when tackling this discussion. Uh, lots of really good content out there, and we guys, we're gonna see, we're gonna see you tomorrow. But it won't be us. It'll be uh, Matthew, Esquivel, Father Ron, and Josh, Josh Hoffer. They're going to be talking about how do we judge prophecy in the first century. Uh, the early church fathers actually have documentation and writings on how we are to judge prophets and prophecy. You it's going to be a fascinating conversation. They don't conversation. say prophecy is going to end? No, nope, they didn't say it ceases. Hmm. In fact, they're like, this is how you know what a real prophet is. Um, hmm. They've got writings in the Didache. Hmm. It's interesting. Shepherd of Hermes and the Acts of the Holy Apostles. Good stuff. You guys, we will see you tomorrow. And then Wednesday on To Be Continued. Blessings, guys.